Looking to create your best self, whether it's good for you lifestyle hacks, smarter ways to supplement, or tasty tips to fuel optimal health, Talk Healthy Today provides you the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am absolutely in love with doing this podcast. I would be thrilled if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to the podcast. Now, on to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I am so excited about today's guest. Dr. Naidu, Dr. Uma Naidu. She is a board-certified psychiatrist, and she is a best-selling author of This Is Your Brain on Food. It is such a fantastic book, and a nutrition specialist whose research provides tremendous insight into the connection between food, nutrition, and mental health. This book is full of research. This book is full of what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, depending on different states of mental health, different diagnoses, and it's absolutely incredible. Dr. Naidu, welcome to to talk healthy today. It's such a thrill to have you. Thanks so much, Lisa. It's lovely to meet you and I appreciate being here. You got me in right from the beginning. In the intro, you write the first sentence. It was, I read it to my husband. Nutrition and psychiatry may not seem like the most natural fit. When you picture Dr. Freud with his pipe and his leather couch, he's probably not scribbling a recipe for baked salmon on his prescription pad. But I'd like to add, Dr. And I do that. I think he should. After reading your book, I think people should. Let's jump in a little bit about you growing up, I know you mentioned that your grandmother and mother cooked. You know, Lisa, as I've thought about it, I think that it really goes back to my childhood, as I, I guess all things do in some ways. But yes. uh, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I think that the one spirit with which I led my life, um, and I feel blessed to have reached this point where it's come together, is that I followed things that I loved to do. And I was always encouraged by my parents to do that. As a young child, I skipped out of preschool. I, for whatever reason, didn't want to go because I wanted to hang out with my maternal grandmother to whom my book is dedicated. Yes. And my mom was in medical school at the time. She's a double-boarded physician. And so during the day, I would, would prefer to hang out with my grandmother. And from her, I just naturally learned to literally pick fresh vegetables from the garden, help her prepare things. Um, and then my grandfather was also home. Uh, they were retired. So... They taught me to meditate. They taught me yoga. And then there was this sort of overall family influence, a lot of food, love, nutrition, but also science talk because my mom had many siblings and most of them were physicians or a couple of Ayurvedic practitioners in the family. So there was the science talk, there was nutrition, there was good food, there was joy and love. And I sort of grew up with all of this imbibing it. The one thing I didn't learn how to do was cook because there were <laughs> aunts, mothers, older cousins, <laughs> grandmothers in the kitchen doing all of that. But my mom recognized that I loved science. So she taught me to bake and learn to measure things and she would manage the oven. So really cut to when I moved away from, from my family, um, I took you know, my mom's spice blends, her recipes, my grandmother's recipes, and really found that when I started to cook on my own, it became a space that was incredibly meditative and creative for me. And I leaned into it, really not even recognizing at the time, whereas most of my colleagues were like, oh my God, what am I going to pick up for dinner? I was more excited about what I was going to create. And I, I really learned to cook that way, emailing and calling home and getting tips. Um, but I think the way that it then connected to my love for mental health and psychiatry in the field was as I understood coming from this really holistic background that 
people needed more tools in their toolbox than just, you know, a medication and the power of that prescription pad. Now, it was brought home in uh, the very junior, uh, you know, resident in training in Boston, and a patient yelled at me for um, causing him to gain weight. Now, technically, I prescribed a medication that couldn't have caused that, but really looking at the data, that wasn't true because I had his details, his weight all in front of me on the computer. But he was holding this very large cup. In Boston, our favorite coffee is Dunkin' Donuts, and he had this massive 20-ounce cup. And for some reason, maybe being a timid resident, you know, not being unsure of myself, was very early on in training. I sort of said, by the way, Bill, what's in your coffee? And yes, I was probably trying to distract him, but I think there was a deeper meaning to it as unfolded. And he said, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of said, well, let's sit down for a second. On the computer, I showed him that he was adding more than a quarter cup of processed creamer and about eight teaspoons of sugar and how that would translate into calories and sugar calories and really empty calories. So I'm not much of a calorie counter, but it was uh, in that moment when I saw that well, the light bulb went off in, in, his, in his eyes and I could see that, at the same time, I sort of had this aha moment where that simple interpretation of information made such a big difference. He immediately wanted to change or adjust or say, well, how can I cut back? What can I do differently? Because I drink this every day, Doc, and, you know, I'm just probably putting on these pounds for nothing because he, was, he wasn't a perfect eater, but he, he that was a big thing. His coffee was a big thing. And that was a very powerful moment because it made me realize why not bring those questions in? Why not ask people? So I began doing that. And then later on, I really had the opportunity to bring together my studies in nutrition, culinary arts, and psychiatry to do what I do when I was supported to start my clinic. Well, I think it's so good that you said something because it's so easy to blame the medication and not look at the behaviors that you're engaging in, (laughs) right? That's right, exactly. Yeah, I remember I used to work with this woman and every day she would come in with a huge coffee and a donut. And I thought, that is such a, (laughs) I didn't say anything, but it's like, so you're going to have the crash from the donut, right? And then you're going to drink the coffee to keep, that's just not a good balance. Exactly. And I think many of us find ourselves in that kind of trap uh, sort of food trap, so to speak, uh, at different points in our lives, at different times of day, and we can't get out of that cycle, so it becomes hot. Yeah, and that I think that's why your book is so incredibly important. I love this, you write, uh, what sometimes gets lost in discussion about mental health is a simple truth. The food you eat can have just as profound an in- effect on your brain as the drugs you take. And I love that you went into 10 different health conditions in the course of your book so you can better guide us through the science behind food and how it affects your mental health. So I wanted to start with depression. And you talk about probiotics, omega-3s, and the Mediterranean eating pattern. And I noticed, and we're not going to have time to go over all of the different health conditions, Mm -hmm. but I have to say that omega-3 seems to be good for all of them. If you can talk a little bit about that and what's so powerful with the omega-3s. Right. So omega-3 fatty acids are just the the types of fats that we want to to include in our diet. And they basically are anti-inflammatory, antioxidant-rich, and they come from things like, um, you know, they can come from fatty seafood, good sources of salmon, sockeye salmon, Mackerel, mackerel, sardines, but you know, you can also get it from plant-based sources. 
You can get it from chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts, and several others. Uh, it's the shorter chain, but this, it's still a source of omega-3s. And they are very powerful because they have such profound effects on lowering depression, helping anxiety. They help cognition. And across the board, you will see some common nutrients that come up time and time again, which I really consider to be brain-healthy foods. And so if you do eat them, um, eat any version of them, I think they're worth including in your diet. Yeah, I think so too. The other thing with depression was probiotics. And you and we meet Ted, we talk about Ted and what he's going through. And then we meet Rosa. And with Rosa, we really see the power of probiotics. Tell us a little bit about Ted and Rosa and some of their experiences. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think the, the uh, a nicer way to look at this is the fact that many people don't realize what body intelligence is. And body intelligence is as they age experiences, really paying attention to how food is making you feel. And I think that where probiotics come into play are that, you know, they can be in the form of a supplement and some doctors don't have as much faith in them. I just have found that in mental health, whether someone takes a supplement or they eat fermented foods, which is another way of getting those new active life cultures into, um, into your body, that they are beneficial to uh, mental health. And, and you know, there have been studies of comparing probiotic use to medications like Prozac. And I think that that gives us helpful data that they, they do play a role and they shouldn't be ignored. So, of course, if someone is profoundly depressed, they need an antidepressant, they need, might need acute care. But using fermented foods and, say, probiotic sources of yogurt, if you eat dairy, I always just say go with the plain dairy and add in your own berries and cinnamon. Um, maybe and these uh, right now we have a dairy and non-dairy yogurts with yes. live active cultures, including coconut. So it doesn't just have to be sheep or goat milk. It can also be coconut yogurt. So lean into all of those and really use them because they form the basis of some easy changes you can make. You know, those particular individuals started to incorporate them in easy ways, and they started to do it very consistently. And their bodies responded well. Uh, that was the other important thing. And I think that that is also important because some people have a dairy intolerance or some people find dairy inflammatory. It's also the source of where we're getting, getting our foods from. But I do think they can be useful adding into your diet very easily. Yeah, and I, I've seen some great almond milk uh, yogurts and cashew milk yogurts, and it's it's pretty remarkable. You talk about foods that will dull your mood, sugar, high glycemic, low carbohydrates, artificial sweeteners, um, especially aspartame. That was yes. interesting. Right. You know, the, the, here's, here's uh, the situation uh, with, with the artificial sweeteners. There are a couple of them that are newer. And uh, we, some of the data is not out on those yet. But, you know, a lot of the a lot of the sweeteners did not show up well with mental well-being because they worsened anxiety or they just worsened depression. And one of the things I find is if people are struggling with with uh, added and refined sugars, they sometimes think, "Well, let me cut back on sugar because I have a sugar addiction, so let me move to the sugar-free items um, in food." And and unfortunately, then they start eating artificial sweeteners, which are not good either. So a healthier option is, you know, I I favor honey. Um, but only 
small amounts. Like I, I literally mean a drizzle or a drop. And I mean that because we don't want, because honey is converted back into sugar. Um, and we just want to have that as a sweetener if you had to choose one um, to sweeten. And because it has other health benefits along with it. Uh, but I think with artificial sweeteners, we just, we want to try our best with mental well-being to, to cut back on them as best we can. And they also in, in things like gum. So, so don't, don't forget about things. Don't forget about that. There's some great gums out there with xylitol and no artificial colors, no artificial flavors. And it's fabulous. I, I love my xylitol gum. <laughs> Let's get into anxiety. This was interested. Fermented food and dietary fiber. You write, one part of the brain that is especially affected by changes in the gut microbiome is the amygdala, a structure found deep in the brain that is a key part of the circuit that goes awry when you are anxious. If you can expand on that for us. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the way to think about anxiety is that these high, these high fiber foods are really helpful because what they do is they do a couple of things. They're good because high fiber foods actually feed the gut microbes and the gut microbiome connection, the gut brain connection is super important. When those gut microbes are fed, they are nurtured, they're well taken care of, they can function at their peak. Just like we can, if we if we eat well and we're taking care of ourselves. So fiber is important for that reason, but it's also important because fiber is more complex. It breaks down more slowly in the body, and by doing that, you are, you feel on more of an even keel. So if you've eaten that sugary donut and or uh, some sort of cake or something in pastry, you know you you have you may feel good in the with your cup of coffee immediately, but you we will actually generally experience some kind of a crash. Um, and that's usually because, you know, insulin goes awry, glucose levels go awry. That's where fiber-rich foods help anxiety. And I think the more that we can add them in, the more you will find a lot of people wake up with a knot in their stomach and feeling anxious. Um, one of the reasons, not always, but could be just the fact that we've had an overnight fast, which is natural. When we go to sleep, we're not eating. And you wake up and if you perhaps are struggling with different different medical problems, you might actually just feel super hungry or maybe you just feel that way anyway. But that also drives anxiety. So, you know, having, um, listening to your body, having something um, healthy just to get your day started um, and having something in, in your body, say, if you're taking medications or not, really helps you to understand that. And then with fermented foods, you know, I said earlier that, so so you can take a probiotic, which will be in the, in the form of a pill, but you can also add these in with fermented foods, kefir, kombucha, um, you know, tempeh, miso, um, sauerkraut, lots of these. And I just say watch out for any sugar content and things like kombucha because a lot of the more commercialized uh, versions, um, you know, have a lot of added sugar to take away the the, the kind of the taste uh, the, 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 the taste that it has if you, if you don't happen to like it. So those are other ways to just add in things to your salad, to your foods as a side that will really help you along uh, in that way. And then foods, you say that worsen anxiety, caffeine, alcohol, gluten, and artificial sweeteners. Now, I'd known about the gluten connection with ADHD, which we'll get into shortly. I did not know that about anxiety. If you can talk about that. Yes. Yeah, so the studies showed that, and uh, Lisa, I should also say that, you know, I try my best not to demonize any, any food group or ingredient. And the reason I don't is that with mental well-being, you know, people are struggling to to feel better, to just get up and have the day work for them. And I would argue that, you know, with the pandemic, almost every one of us has a little bit of something going on. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's insomnia. So when, when it came to gluten, um, it showed up that, you know, when, when, when 
gluten can worsen anxiety. So sometimes with my patients, I will have them give up gluten uh, rich ingredients for a while and see how they do. Again, it's highly personalized. Um, the nutritional psychiatry plans that I'm doing now compared to when I first started are much more personalized because we know so much more about the gut microbiome. And some of them actually do have an improvement in their symptoms. So it's important to pay attention to. Also, the source of gluten. You know, the store-bought processed uh, loaf of bread that will sit on your countertop for three weeks when you go away on vacation, you know, the preservatives will, will keep it there just fine. So it's also the source of the gluten where, where you're eating it. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's so important. PTSD, you have glutamates, blueberries, and quote, old friends, unquote, bacteria. You talk about trauma in the gut. And I know some people that have PTSD, and it's such a difficult thing to live with. So yeah. if there's anything that can help with food, I just thought that was incredible. So talk to us a little bit about these. Now, glutamates are the things we want to avoid. Right. And, and the thing about glutamates are that they are they sometimes found in natural foods that we eat. So, so I think being aware that they can be in things like fish sauce, oyster sauce, tomato sauce, miso, which otherwise is a healthy ingredient, but it could could be problematic for you with these symptoms. Um, and a few other things which I list in my book. You know, you you also want to watch for the obvious sources of, of MSG, monosodium glut glutamate, and things like that. So that type of thing uh, and having the awareness becomes important. Um, but then adding in things like blueberries have been thought to be helpful at least a half a cup a day. And, you know, I think that blueberries are also favored because they are lower glycemic fruit and often in mental well-being or mental fitness, people are struggling a little bit with their weight, either because of their medication. Um, and I think that just being aware of the lower glycemic fruit, but still including them in your diet becomes important. Then we go back to those omega-3 fatty acids because they also help uh, things, you know, rich in vitamin D, spices like turmeric. And on occasion, you know, a supplement like ginkgo could help. But again, I always try my best to go to food sources first. And so in the final, in the final chapter of my book, where I do the recipes, I also have lists of food that are rich in certain vitamins. So if I list in the first part of the book, foods rich in, say, vitamin D, then, then you can look at the back to see the foods that are rich in those things. Yeah, the book is laid out so wonderfully. I really think that's great. Now, some of the things that you want to avoid, and again, I'm not going to share everything because people need to get the book, <laughs> but uh, for PTSD, white bread, white rice, anything else, sugar, baked goods, candy, soda, high fructose corn syrup, and we talked about the glutamates, right. soothing foods, we talked about blueberries, omega-3s, see, there it is again. Now, I mentioned with ADHD earlier, I've always heard this, gluten, milk, and then artificial colors and mm -hmm. additives. And polyphenols are very, very good for ADHD. They're good, mm -hmm. right? And for people who don't know, what are polyphenols? Absolutely. So, you know, when you think when, when doctors and nutritionists say eat the color of the rainbow, they, they're referring to those different colors of, say, sweet peppers or cucumbers, different lettuces, you know, leafy greens, um, all uh, or, uh, or it, those colors actually refer to the plant polyphenols, which are rich in antioxidants. They not only interact with your gut microbes to form positive substances for your body, they contain, they're rich in, you know, it's almost innumerable vitamins, minerals, and nutrients for your body. And where they come in in this condition is that, you know, you can get these from berries, cherries, eggplants, kale, uh, green tea is rich in polyphenols. So that's a great one that and many people will say, you know, instead of having coffee in the afternoon, they'll have 
a, a sip of green tea because it gives them energy, it helps them focus. And in fact, many of my patients switch to that type of regimen as long as it doesn't impact their sleep. They usually usually are good. So, um, you know, I think that that there are a lot of correlation studies in ADHD around sugar and those colorants and dyes. And I think we need to pay attention to them because many parents will say, um, you know, you take your child pre-COVID to a birthday party and they eat some cupcakes and candy and they, you know, they come back in a very different state of mind. So, you know, it's, there's also human experience. I think that nutritional science and nutritional epidemiology, um, you know, I think that there are limitations to what we can study. We also have to have what I consider common sense and human observation. And as a clinician and clinician scientist, I, those are things that my patients tell me all the time. So I don't ignore it because, um, you know, they, they are noticing these changes and it's naturally to therefore want to uh, cut back a little bit on those foods or be aware of what they can do differently. Do you find when you talk to other psychiatrists that they kind of just are like, well, I don't know, or do you think the paradigm is shifting and there's more people getting into, would you call it uh, nutrition psychiatry? I know you have a word for it. Um, nutritional psychiatry. I think that it is nascent. Uh, you know, even though I've been practicing it for many, many years in my career, it is nascent to a lot of doctors, to a lot of practitioners. Um, but here's the thing. A few weeks ago, I presented with a few of my junior colleagues at the American Psychiatric Conference. It was all virtual. Um, last year, my presentation was was a keynote and it was canceled because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And at that time, we didn't have enough time to shift to a virtual platform. This year, just we presented and we were online and there were 800 participants with us online watching our presentation for one. And remember that the, the conference has so many activities virtually going on at the same time. We could not even finish the questions and we are still answering questions by email. So there was there was, that was a significant shift, and that's a national and international conference. So I think that that gave me hope that more people are interested and want to know about this. However, in the day to day, when you when I meet colleagues, I fortunately, you know, I, I get some people questioning it, and I feel people should. I don't I don't assume to know everything. I don't assume that I'm right. I actually like to engage in a conversation if people want to know more. Um, my position, though, is food. Is something we're all doing. We're eating every day. Perhaps you're fasting or you're doing some other sort of food regimen, but we're eating meals and we should be eating every day and perhaps several times a day. It's a low-hanging fruit for us to improve our mental well-being. So knowing the data, why not try? That That is always the argument I put forth. Why wouldn't you try it? Why wouldn't you add spices? Why wouldn't you add these polyphenols, these foods? Because either way, they, they could help you. And what's the loss? Unless you have an allergy, an intolerance, or you simply don't like a certain food, um, I think that you sh- that a person can try it. And I think it takes us away from those diet wars of give up this, eliminate that, this is the best diet, this is what you should be eating. Because my patients come in so confused about what they should be doing. That really just, it, it you know, doesn't... Um, it just doesn't help. I know some people with depression and they'll get annoyed when they hear, you know, uh, like an exercise person being, well, if you, you know, just exercise and you'll be fine. It's like, no, right. exercise is a part of a good regimen, but right. you're not, right? It's, a, it's yeah, a, if you can expand yeah. on that too with food as well, like you might still need your medication, but this is going to help you feel better. Absolutely. So, you know, my book, Lisa, is about the my work in nutritional psychiatry and that is my clinic, Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry. 
And we now have a component of nutritional and metabolic psychiatry because there's so much evidence for poor metabolic health impacting our mental health as well. But where my, my actual model of treatment is holistic, integrated, and functional, going back to those Hindu roots that I referred to, because exercise, hydration, tai chi, yoga, um, whichever form of mindfulness or meditation you want to use, all of these and more are part of what we should be practicing. So, you know, it's very, one would really, it's, it's sort of in, inaccurate, incorrect to say to someone who's severely depressed, oh, get up and move. Oh, you know, just feel better. Or, or say to an anxious person, oh, calm down. It, it's sort of, you know, sometimes these come, they, these things come out of our mouths and we don't mean them. I'm sure I've used them many times as well. It's not perfect, but it's very hard when you're experiencing that emotion to just be told those things. So I feel that meeting someone where they're at, talking to them about movement. If someone is not walking, not able to get out of bed or out of the house, can they walk their dog? Can they go buy a cup of coffee? Can they buy the newspaper? That's movement. That's getting them to move. Um, maybe they need help preparing their food because they just don't have energy. Um, so it's, it's really starting that conversation and it's helping someone with, with many of those mechanisms. But here's the thing. Nutrition is one of our most important lifestyle drivers of change in medicine and, and, and physical health as well. But now we know it's also impacting mental health and, you know, where, where the data around uh, mental health in the, in the pandemic has been so bad. It has worsened on so many levels in so many different conditions. I think that, I think it's something we should really just be paying attention to. I think so too. Thank you. I love that you said meet people where they're at. I have my master's in public health and that's one of the first things that they taught us. You have to meet people where they're at. And it was funny because at the time I was dating this guy and I went into his, his kitchen and I was just like berating him. Like, how do you have, what's this, all this processed crap and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, I'm not meeting him where he's at. Hey, how about instead of having this for breakfast or maybe have a small bowl of this because it's your favorite cereal, maybe add this and have this, mm -hmm. you know. So I learned a lot, Same. but I was new. We all start somewhere. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm certainly it's not, not not perfect for anyone, but it's true. It's, it's you know, if someone comes, I think there's so many diet was that if someone comes in with a specific diet, what I want to be able to do is, you know, tweak it so that they are getting the nutrients they need for their mental well-being, you know, and often that also helps their physical well-being. I know some people with bipolar disorder and you mentioned that the ketogenic diet has been shown to be a whole to be a good whole diet approach for patients with bipolar disorder and I'd love for you to expand on that because I've done some shows on keto I'm a huge fan of Gary Taubes. Absolutely. So it, you know I basically looked and reviewed the research and um, it it tended for this particular condition and there've been some case reports in also serious mental illness, other serious mental illness, because bipolar disorder can be very serious, um, such as schizophrenia and schizoaffective disorder, to show that uh, it, it has helped people not only with the weight gain, but with their actual symptoms. So I feel like where we have to be a little bit careful when we talk about these uh, more life-threatening mental illnesses is to realize that it's about the balance that you work out with your doctor. Um, no one is saying you should come off your medications. No one is saying it's one or the other, but maybe you can actually help improve your symptoms with taking elements of this diet and using the types that the type of diet that would work for you. So for example, you know, it, it's people don't 
fully understand the ketogenic diet sometimes, and often it's demonized for, for the wrong reasons. There are many good elements to it in mental well-being. For example, um, eating good sources of fat and being careful about the type of carbohydrates, because we all need carbohydrates, it's an important macronutrient, but where do you get it? You know, it's different to eat basmati rice and, um, you know, whole wheat bread versus getting carbohydrates from sulfurophane-rich vegetables, uh, which also give you the fiber and sulfurophane and so many other things. So you can, it's about forming that balance for people. And that's really how I try to guide them. But I'm very, very clear that, you know, no one should ever come off their medications without their doctor being involved. Um, there's a lot of hope food can give them, but I'd really like them to think of food as an adjunct, as something they can do together. And then if their symptoms improve, the doctors can work with them, and that's that has happened. So, so I think just to be hopeful about it and look into it. Well, I have to say, I was super excited when I saw the chapter on libido, oxytocin, <laughs> fenugreek, and the science of aphrodisiacs because I have a book that came out with Sky Horse in 2019 called "Clean Eating, Dirty Sex," <laughs> and it's a play on words. It's a memoir, a cookbook, and the healthy lifestyle guide. And I think a lot of people think there isn't science with aphrodisiacs, but there is. And you mentioned so you had the same some of the same foods that I have in the book. <laughs> and it just made me so happy because I just so admire you. And I wish I had known you because I interviewed over 50 health experts uh, in functional medicine, exercise physiologists, sexologists, psychologists, nutritionists, dietitians, because this is great. So you talk about red wine, pistachios, especially uh, with pistachios, almonds, and walnuts, pomegranate juice, onions, avocados, and I eat a lot of these things, so I was mm-hmm. super happy. So tell us about that. I'm so glad you included it in the book. Absolutely. You know, I included it for a couple of reasons. First, it's a part of life and one we should embrace, but also um, often individuals on a psychiatric medication may have uh, medic- the side effects of low libido. And I think it's just important to give them hope around things they can add in um, to your diet. And even if you're not on a medication, if you're you know, thinking that you would like to include these, these are good ideas um, to, to, you know, to improve your libido. And it often will focus on things like boosting oxytocin. That's where, you know, extra dark chocolate, natural chocolate with the uh, rich cacao flavonols, great antioxidants, uh, really good for you, uh, magnesium. And then some essential amino acids that I found in certain foods will also help you. Coffee is a good one, but just stick to a certain amount a day. You know, everything in moderation and not in excess because coffee can also disrupt other things. Um, but all of these foods, uh, you know, I like to think of them as things you can add into your meals, um, herbs like saffron and fenugreek, um, you know, healthy fats like avocado, um, pistachios, you know, are one of my favorites. So just it's just adding these in in, in the right sort of um, uh, components and and always practicing moderation and portion control was actually be a good idea. I mean, I like people to look at that list and come up with a creative meal. Um, you know that they could, especially in pandemic times, where a lot of people are still sort of eating more meals at home and not a bad thing is probably a good thing, but, you know, maybe putting together a charcuterie board with that and um, having fun with, you know, your partner or, or, or thinking about a way to sort of um, adjust your diet, anything away from the standard American diet, I think is a win. So any <laughs> of these foods can be helpful. So I love that in the book, you have brain foods and you have B, berries and beans, R, rainbow colors of fruits and vegetables, A, antioxidants, I, include lean proteins and plant-based proteins, N, nuts, almonds, walnuts, Brazil nuts, and cashews, F, fiber-rich foods, fish and fermented foods, O, oils, 
uh, another O, omega-3 rich foods, D, dairy, yogurt, and kefir, certain cheeses, and S, spices. I love things like that. It just makes it so easy. I mean, and then you also have set up your kitchen like a chef and you have all these great recipes. And I mean, the research in this book, this must have taken a long time, Dr. Nadu, because I really admire the science in it. Thank you so much, Lisa. I personally appreciate that because, yes, it did take a lot of time. It did take a lot of research. And, you know, what I felt was that, like I said at the beginning, you know, this is a more nascent field. A lot of people use the term. They use the um, title or they use something about it. And, and, and that's great. That's I have no objection to that. But I think people need to also know what the science is, not just uh, tout information without knowing it. And what I hoped uh, with humility that the book would bring forward would be the, the, the evidence behind what I'm saying, but also that it's a compendium. It's it's the go-to book uh, when you want to know what to do for nutritional psychiatry across the different conditions, because mental health is not just anxiety, depression, and insomnia. It's a lot more than that. Um, and I think that using it in that way is a guide. It's a guide for a friend, a family member, co-worker to just get started on a healthier path. And the book has, you know, I, I whittled down 900 references to 553 um so there's a lot of the lot that went into it we put what was most salient uh we screened out you know we chose the most important study that got a point across um and of course it changes all the time so you know i will have to update those things at, at some point soon because things in nutritional science change but i think that the golden principles are still there you know i i can't see as saying berries are not going to help you. That's or right. All of a sudden, trees, omegas, you know, yeah. exactly. <laughs> We're on the same page. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. Exactly. Like I, I think that my, my treatment plans have evolved a little bit, but you know, nothing drastically uh, that much. But what's more important is I think when I refer to the, 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 the updating the research, it's around the gut microbiome because that's really burgeoning and really on the cutting edge now. So I think that would be a good way for people to know more. Yeah, absolutely. I also love that in each chapter at the end, you'll have, you know, the, the cheat sheet right there. This is good. If you have OCD, this isn't good. You know, like you have it more eloquently <laughs> laid out, but it's great. Now let's jump into these recipes. So I made the cinnamon black pepper hot chocolate. So my favorite thing, I love Mexican chocolate, you know, the chocolate with the cinnamon yes. in it. And that was delicious. I made mine with oat milk. Oat milk has mm. a nice creamy consistency. It has a creaminess. Yeah. And it was really, really nice. And also, I love cauliflower rice. And I love the turmeric infused cauliflower rice. You know, my husband makes this drink every day. And I told him yesterday was Mother's Day. And this is going to mm-hmm. air in a few weeks. So people listening go, wait, what? Did I miss it? Wait, what happened? <laughs> he makes this drink every day for himself with fresh ginger. Mm-hmm. And then he gets turmeric, cardamom, black pepper, and cinnamon. And he drinks it like, yeah. And I keep telling him, you need to make some for me. And he goes, you make your own. I'm like, but just, just one cup. He drinks like a ton of it. I said, you're going to so outlive me, even though I mostly eat whole food (laughs) diet because of that. And so I was looking at the ingredients in your book and the ingredients in the recipes. Uh, I haven't made this yet. The Southern French style scallops, but I want to, I absolutely love scallops. Uh, You have some wonderful recipes in there. Uh, chickpeas are great. And I love this too, because you you know, you have a memory boosting menu. And you'll actually say breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner, dessert. I mean, it's so impressive. What are some of your favorite recipes in the book? So, you know, my uh some of my favorites are um I I love the dal recipe. So funny you said that, because that's on my number one list to make. I love a good dal. Exactly. And it just goes back to my heritage and uh, something I grew up eating. 
and then I sort of, you know, tested the recipe to the part of part of um, chapter 11 was about finding ways, you know, I, like I said, I started, I began cooking later in life. I didn't cook as a child. I baked, but it, what was important was to make it user friendly because it's very intimidating for people who don't cook at all. So there's super simple things just to get you started. But that was one of my favorites because it lends itself to so many different directions. Um, you can add in my, one of my favorite things is leafy greens. Uh, so spinach or any leafy greens I have because of the folate dense, um, iron dense nutrients. But then, you know, I think you can, if you, if you, um, if you eat, um, if you eat seafood or if you eat meat, you can add those in and make it more of a, a hearty uh, dal-based dish, but still add in other things. And I, I like to add leafy greens and sometimes other little uh, vegetables to it, but also just plain is one of my favorites. And then my other favorite is actually um, the strawberries with the black pepper, because I think it's such a simple tweak that, that you know, you just culinary school is one of those cool things where, you know, you just learn these different flavor profiles that I have to get very excited by. And, um, but I, I love all the recipes in there. So, and, and, and they're written to really be able to have people substitute depending on their diet. So a cauliflower could be substituted for the chicken in, in the, um, in that recipe, you know, you, you can make it work for you, uh, quite easily. And then you have banana ice cream, which I've heard about before where you just, yeah. but I've said, I've heard people just freeze bananas, but you add only one tablespoon of honey and then mm-hmm. you had half a cup unsweetened almond cashew oat or coconut milk. Mm-hmm. That sounds really good as well. When you actually eat it, it, it really tastes like ice cream. And then you can make a chocolate flavor. So you can add in um, natural dark cacao um, or chocolate uh, dark chocolate chips. It, it, it really is so versatile in so many ways. You know what I, I love? I love golden milk. And if you can tell people what that is, it's just delicious. So golden milk is is actually in, in Indian culture growing up, you know, we always added uh, turmeric uh, with a pinch of black pepper to, to milk. It was often just something very healing or soothing or just a regular drink. And I always made um, uh, golden milk or, or uh, sometimes with chai mixed in with my grandmother. So basically it's a milk adding in some turmeric and my hack is always add in a pinch of black pepper because it makes the curcumin in turmeric, which is the active ingredient, much more bioavailable to your brain and body. Um, so it's just, you know, it, it's what is now uh, popularized uh, in our tea shops and coffee shops as, uh, as a golden latte, but that's simply what it is. Yeah, it's really tasty. It you is, do yeah. have in the book uh, a chapter on fatigue, and you have a menu for ideal sleep patterns and lower fatigue. I just want to read to give people an idea. Breakfast, on-the-go scrambled eggs in a mug. Snack, banana and almond butter over cottage cheese. Oh, that's interesting. Lunch, spicy shrimp mixed green salad. Snack, pickled okra. It's so funny that the pickled okra is there because I was thinking about that. <laughs> I love okra. Dinner, oven-roasted turkey breast, oven-roasted miso glazed sweet potatoes, and dessert, golden milk. I mean, that just sounds like such a lovely day. It, it's it's one way to, to get you started. You know, that's the that's the whole that's the whole idea. Right now, if you have the ADHD, you might want to leave off the cottage cheese. I'm thinking because of the right, dairy. So, exactly. So you know, you tweak it because what here's the thing, Lisa. There are not everyone with OCD will will react to all the glutamate foods, even the you know the good glutamate foods. Um, so so it's really about tweaking it to to your best uh, ability. I just want to talk a little bit about you shared your experience with cancer, and you wrote that you mm-hmm. hadn't really shared that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious. I, I like that you said that you really felt pretty good overall, even though it was rough and difficult, and you had a lot of treatments. 
And it was, I think, a combination of mindfulness and the way you ate, especially. If you can expand on that for us. Absolutely. You know, it was one of those experiences that um, you don't wish on anyone. But when I found myself facing it uh, for the first time, I was really, um, you know, I had sort of severe anxiety at the time of my first treatment. Not so much. Everything happened so fast. And I've said before in other programs that, you know, I had access as best by having access to excellent medical care. So everything moved so fast. I came to diagnosis and treatment before I knew it. My mind hadn't caught up. So I found myself with this anxiety on the day of my first treatment. And I realized that I had a one of those moments where I realized, wow, what, like what, you know, I need to get hold of myself in the following way. I talk to people about this all the time. Why am I not doing more of it? You know, obviously I was eating a certain way, but why don't I do more of it? Why can't I enhance what I'm doing? And that's really what changed in my head. And it was very, a very important mindful moment because it changed my attitude toward how I was going to handle it. And, um, and it just, I just upped my game, everything that I did, how I ate. Um, and, and I really feel like I tolerated um, side effects extremely well, uh, you know, I'm sure compared to others, and certainly my doctors told me that. But I think the other important thing is that mindset is important. Mindset is important in anything we do in life. And I feel like my work really helped me with that because it gave me almost, I thought, well, you know, let's try this, let's tweak that, let's do this differently. And you know, there are certain phases um, in cancer treatment where they really don't want you to eat out or they don't want you to eat or they advise you against, you know, you, you can't go eat in the salad bar, even if it's right at the hospital where they, you know, you would think that they're obviously more careful. They, they don't want you to eat uh, raw foods and all sorts of things. So I really just leaned into it and I just thought, you know, um, use, use, use myself as a test subject. The reason I hadn't shared it is pop as I, I, I had worked throughout that time, I adjusted and changed my schedule, but I was still working um, but the other reason is I didn't want it to be the focus of the book. I wanted people to know that that was part of my journey but and, and that it can be a very powerful tool. But the book is really about sharing what you can do using food. Food is the powerful tool. And if it connects, it connects back to my story um, and what I went through, then, then I hope it's useful to people. Yeah, I thought it was really useful. Dr. Naidu, is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap up today? Obviously, I want to know where we can find you on social media and where we get your fantastic book. This is your brain on food. But other than that, anything else? Um, I would love people to follow me. And thank you for sharing sharing the links and subscribe to my website where you'll get a newsletter and my blog posts. Um, Most importantly, you know, um, share the book, not as a sales pitch, but really because I feel people are struggling with mental um, mental fitness these days because the pandemic has had such a strain on us. 11% of Americans were shown to have considered suicide when the CDC released statistics last summer. 20% of teens are struggling with suicidal ideation and thinking about it. So people are isolated and not doing well. And if if there's something we can do to feel better, along with everything else you're talking to your doctor about, you know, why not try it? And I will just say one thing. A lot of people have had difficulties with the Audible book. It's popular. People, should, that's what you like, definitely get it. But sometimes they haven't been able to get the downloadable chapter 11, which is the recipes. So I just want to make sure they know that it's worked with some platforms and not with other ebook platforms. So that helps. All right. And what is the website? 
umanaidomd.com, U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O-M-D.com. And my social handle is at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. Thank you so much for listening to Talk Healthy Today. I hope you got as much out of the show as I did. I feel so lucky to talk to so many incredible people to help you live your healthiest life. So please rate, review, and subscribe, and never miss an episode of Talk Healthy Today.